0: This presentation is from UX Australia 2018, held in Melbourne. For more presentations, please visit uxaustralia.com.au I'm Jim McCool, and I've been a practising human-centred designer for nearly 20 years, mainly as a contractor or a consultant. And I've moved from the private sector to the public sector about five years ago, where I worked on a very wide range of projects for a wide range of government departments, That included DFAT, Department of Health and most recently the Department of Employment. I just want to share some of the insights that I have gained from my lived experience working in government. First off, we are going to look at service design in government and what we are actually hoping to achieve. We want to provide better government services for the people of Australia from the perspective of human centred design, surely we can all agree with that. But let's be pragmatic. Let's be down to earth and let's see what the government themselves say. The official guide to service design determines how we should start. We should start with user needs. We should start with user needs, not government needs. That's what it's all about. Thinking about the citizens, about the users of the services. And the DTA, who are a great organisation uh, who I've worked with very closely. The government's own DTA states that we exist to make it easy for people to deal with government. We help government transform services to be simple, clear and fast. Simple, clear and fast. That certainly sounds good. And there are many areas of government where people are working very hard to do just that. People working very hard within tight budgetary and headcount restraints. And these are teams across services like the ATO, for instance, they do wonderful work, and there's wonderful teams at the DVA as well have done tremendous work in making services fast, simple and easy to use. However, there are other areas where designers are really struggling to create these services that make it easier to deal with government, struggling to deliver services that are simple, clear and fast. And in my experience, Among these are services targeted at some of the most disadvantaged people in Australia, people who really need help, the unemployed. Unfortunately government doesn't make access to services for the unemployed simple, clear and fast. The government makes it really difficult. Data from the OECD shows that the requirements for receiving benefits in Australia are particularly strict with some sources claiming that they're the most onerous in the whole of the developed world. And we've all heard the scary stories of robo collection, proposals for drug testing, and now the new demerit scheme, the effects of which we're going to see over the coming months. And this is actually the the help screens around the new demerit system. Uh, There's quite a lot of information there. And whenever you think about... The way that we design things, usually we say that if you have to provide a lot of information on how to use it, well, it's not really that usable. But the impact, and this is a huge impact to the unemployed of this new system, is that whenever you get demerits, you could actually lose some of your payments, and that's going to have a huge effect on people. That's actually going to lead people, in some cases perhaps, to be homeless. So that's something we really need to think very carefully about. So why is it so difficult for the disadvantaged to access the services they need? Is this down to bad service design? Is this down to bad infrastructure? Well, certainly there are technical problems. There are technical problems with legacy systems, and there are technical problems with the way that services have been put together, with the silos, the typical service design problem that we all know. But if you talk to the people who work on the services for the unemployed, as I have, they will tell you that one of the greatest constraints they have to battle with is government policy. It is government policy that actively prevents them from taking a human centred approach to service design. Neoliberalism is a political doctrine that believes that government services should be cut back or privatised and that the free market will always be the most effective way to deliver services. This was first proposed by Margaret Thatcher and Ronald Reagan way back in the 1980s, but really went turbo, went steroid-driven, in the years of Bill Clinton and Tony Blair and in John Howard here in Australia, with a vast dismantling of social services and a wave of privatisation. To the proponents of neoliberalism, It is actually government itself and the government services themselves that are the problem. And for them, the number one target among these services is welfare. An Australian government minister has even stated publicly his view that welfare is poison. So why would giving simpler, clearer and faster access to this welfare poison make any sense at all. From a neoliberal viewpoint, it is better to actually deter people from trying to access this poison. A neoliberalism is an ideology that has become very deeply ingrained in the world of government, where it has become so all-pervasive that it has come to be seen as the natural way of doing things, the only way of doing things. This is an ideology that proclaims that there is simply no possible alternative to the free market and a widespread dismantling of the public sphere. Social theorist Mark Fisher has called this way of thinking capitalist realism. This is one of the key paradoxes we have to understand and negotiate in the world of service design and government we have to wrestle with the problem of how we can design better public services for our citizens when government policy is itself informed by an ideology which is committed to dismantling those same public services. Fisher, who was working in the world of public education, wrestled with the same really difficult issues, and he detailed some of the ways his colleagues tried to cope with this dilemma. They became really cynical. They used Dark humour, and also they—excuse <coughs> me—they—they—they they, um, they complied with the policies, even though they simply didn't agree with them. So it is very important to question whether the paradoxes inherent in neoliberal policies are issues beyond the confines and the scope of design. Do we really have the tools to deal with these issues? or are they structural or systemic issues, political issues, which must be dealt with as such? Dr Ruben Stanton argued recently at the Service Design Now conference that service design is a political issue and that if we really want to affect change, we're going to have to get involved in politics. And Mike Palmer, speaking here last year, argued that we really have to think out of the box. We have to go actually beyond capitalism. We need to stop thinking in this very constrained way. We need to bust out of the business ontology. Stop thinking always that everything is business. There are other values that we need to look at as well, social values. So what else are we left with? We still want to create better, more inclusive services for citizens. What else can we do? What practical tools can we use? Well, we can go back to the tools and methodology of human-centred design. And we can work with the standards which the government has set for itself. Let's look at the set of standards which were designed to ensure that government services are fast and simple and easy to use. The digital services standard. Let's take a look at the very first criteria of those standards. Understand user needs. Research to develop a deep knowledge of the users and their context for the service. And that's the standard itself. Couldn't be simpler, it's what we all want to do. Understand our users. So let's put that in the context of the unemployed. Should make an awful lot of sense. Let's do some research, let's really understand the user needs of these particularly disadvantaged citizens. Research with the unemployed, even just a scrape across the service, even just desk research, even the shallowest ethnographic study, will soon identify some key issues. They need jobs, they need money to find jobs, and they desperately need money to live on. $40 a day on the New Start allowance simply isn't enough. Even the neoliberal Prime Minister John Howard recognizes this. So why is it so difficult to understand the needs of people who desperately need money? Is this a structural issue, again, outside the realm of design? We can design the best possible services, make them super efficient. But if they're not meeting the critical needs of the users, well, it really doesn't matter how fast and shiny we make them. However, this issue is a really good example of how systemic issues bleed into tactical issues. The government really wants to put digital services out there. They want everybody to access these digital services. But how can you access digital services if you can't afford a connection? The Digital Inclusion Index... Identifies affordability as one of the three critical factors that exclude people from the digital world. After living at $40 a day for a while, you can't afford data. You can't afford to replace a broken phone or a laptop. And if you haven't got access, you can't do your reporting to Centrelink. And that means your payments will be delayed. And if your payments are delayed, then the bank will charge you extra for your direct debits. And that's going to be another cut out of your $40 a day. So what can we do as human-centered designers? Well, you can be practical. There are some practical things that you can do. In your research, you can make sure that you scrupulously document the impact of both structural and tactical issues. Don't take anything for granted or as read Make sure that the hard evidence is made available, excuse me, is made available to help shape and change policy. And make sure that everything is traceable and searchable. So that when the minister's office phones up late on a Friday afternoon, anxious to dispute your findings, you can quickly point them to the verifiable sources they need. And you can work with your public service colleagues. You can mentor and guide them. What they don't need are designers coming in who really don't understand the domain and who aren't aren't willing to listen. What they want are people who are going to come in and work with them, who are going to help them to build better systems and services. So what can we do in the face of the paradoxes of capitalist realism? Well, we can shut down, be cynical, superficial, and pretend that it's all business as usual. But however, the fallout from dealing with working in a toxic environment can have very negative effects on your mental health and well-being. And we're not going to be able to do anybody any good if we're doing ourselves harm. So be honest with yourself in the situation you're facing. Be careful about getting involved in toxic environments ask yourself, is this an environment where I'm going to be allowed to really make services simpler and clearer? Is this an environment where I'm really going to be able to understand the needs of the users? Or is this, like a research role offered to me earlier this year, an environment where you'll need a proven track record of supporting senior executive investment decisions? In other words, shut up and follow orders. But most importantly, we need to stand by the principles of human-centered design. We need to put the needs of the, our users, of the citizens, at the center of everything we do. Has anybody got any questions? I thank you very much.. Sorry. I thank you very much. Any questions? Yep. Let's mm-hmm. so say you're in that um situation where you, you find yourself already sort of being barked at borders by someone who's perceived to be sort of your, your senior in an organization. How do you try and break that pattern and start to show them that you're there to help them, not just to be a pixel pusher or a code monkey, so to speak? Uh it's a really good question actually. I think Uh, You need to find out a little bit more about the domain, about the environment. As I said, try to empathise and listen. Uh, I think if you're being shouted at, it's probably not a good environment to be in in the first place. So I would certainly push back against that. Uh, I think the key thing actually is to uh, work with your fellow designers. Sometimes in government, this can't be easy because you might be the only person there. So maybe you may need to reach out to other designers that you know. But certainly uh, doing things on your own is always very difficult, so try and at least discuss the problems with other designers, Um, try and sort of spread out the problem to try and get some help. Any other questions? Yeah? Sorry? Yes, I have actually. Uh, I mean, this uh, probably sounds pretty negative, actually, whenever I'm talking about the worlds of the unemployed. But as I mentioned before, there are lots of other government services which actually are, I think, working very well with the human centred design approach. Um, I mentioned the ATO, which are working very well. But in my own particular experience, uh, I've worked very well for AMSA, building new services for them. And it wasn't just a case of... Uh, building the service, it was actually getting the personnel, the people in AMSA, the Australian public servants that I was working with, uh, to work with us as a team. So we were also, besides providing a new service, also passing over and sharing knowledge as well. So that uh, whenever um, we moved on from AMSA, they had a team which was then putting the principles of human-centred design into practice. And I think that's a really good way of of doing it. You're not just there to actually build something and move on, like a roaming band of bandits. You're actually trying to uh, teach people how to fish, as it were. Yeah? If you start a project, oh, that loud. (laughs) If <laughs> you start a project um, and the government changes, often those projects get scrapped. Um, and I'm just curious, do you have any thoughts on how to design sort of beyond, like, the specific government that's in or how you get buy-in for something not sort of being killed when someone wants to, like, be like, oh, we're new and we're going to do our own thing now? Yeah, that's. I think that's a really good question as well. I would say... Uh, Get them to think about not reinventing the wheel again. If you've already done a lot of work on a project, uh, you can say, well, look, this is going to cost an awful lot more money. Let's take advantage of the work that we've already done and move forward that way, because very often we talk a lot about uh, ROI and business value. Perhaps I think even a bit too much. You put too much emphasis on the business value rather than human values and social values. But I think certainly the dollar value in that instance might actually speak volumes. Anybody else? Yeah. In, design, approach, and, you've, you've argued puts, puts users' needs, their experience at the yeah. centre? I wonder if you've had any kind of thoughts on one of the critiques of neoliberalism, which is Psychologizing and individualizing social problems. Yes, yep. Mm-hmm. And so I wonder that there are both great potentials and great risks in putting user needs at the forefront of everything. Given, that, like I say, this agenda of yeah individualizing social political problems into the the yep. single singular person. Yeah, I think that's a really good question because. Neoliberalism, uh, if you take it back to its roots, Mrs Thatcher said there was no such thing as society. And I think if we think about social values and move away from this idea that it's all about the individual, we're not gonna work, we're not gonna solve the problems of the world, we're not gonna solve climate change by working as an individual, whether you're Richard Branson or Elon Musk or anybody else, we're gonna have to work as a team. And I think that's how I would look at it moving forward, is that it's about looking at not individual needs, not individual user needs, but society's needs. You're not looking at the needs of one unemployed person as an individual, you're looking at a collection, you're looking at all those people out there who are looking for work. Yep. Thank you, for your- Thank you very much for your wise words. Um, neoliberalism has had a remarkably s- supportive effect on racism and sexism and, uh, and uh, classism, I guess, uh, hatred of the poor. Do you think that neoliberalism sprang from those roots or rather than just watering those roots? I think they're one of its ingredients, really, and they're certainly being used these days, to push that philosophy and to push even a more extreme example of that philosophy further. Uh, It's really all about propaganda. Whenever you look at government policy, uh, some of it is driven, as I said, by research, uh, and some of it is driven by politics and maybe even dirty politics, the politics of getting me elected again. And if I have to spread fear, then that's what I'm going to do. Uh, Richard Nixon, speaking way back in the 60s, he said, "It's fear that will win you votes." They don't teach you that in Sunday school, but that's the way that it is, and that's exactly what Richard N- uh, Nixon did. And I think you've seen that pattern being repeated in America and also here in Australia as well. People are trying to spread fear to win votes, and that's a—it's all to do with politics. Yep. of project value beyond your basic you know, business value that's a really good question it's something that I think that we don't do enough of uh, as I said basically that's one of the straitjackets that that are sort of held in is that we only really talk about business value it's all this business ontology where the whole world is business there's nothing else nothing else matters uh, and I myself have been guilty of that as well. Whenever I've been trying to actually sell the values, even of human-centered designs, you go into a department and you talk about, oh, but you know, we can show the business value. It's difficult. I think it's something that we really need to think about uh, and think about what are the other values, as Mike Palmer discussed here last year, to think about other values like social values. There is such a thing as a society. We live in the society and we need to work together. If we are going to tackle these really big problems, we're not going to do it on our own. We need to work together. So we need to think about those new ways of putting people together in frameworks. We need to break out of that bubble of capitalist realism that there's no other way of doing things. We can't possibly change things because we can. We can change things. And I think it's people like yourselves, really bright people, who can design these new networks for human beings to collaborate and get together and solve some of the difficult issues that we're looking at. Yep. Mm -hmm. Hi. um, Did you always envision yourself working in the public sector? No. I was working, I worked for a long time in banks. I worked in banks in Europe and I worked in banks here in Australia um, and I worked for various other organisations. I even worked for the lovely Mr Murdoch for a while. Um, But then I thought moving into government, and perhaps I was maybe just a little naive, that it would be good to actually do some good and to work with actual citizens. And that's something that I would. Advise younger designers whenever they're moving into government, and there's a lot of demand for younger designers actually, as service designers in, in government, is to trade very carefully. Look what you're getting into. Are you really going to be able to make a difference and to make things simple? Are you really going to be able to um, really help the needs of your users? Are you going to be allowed to do that? Um, any other questions? Um, hmm? A lot of the talk. Um, that we use is like is around the individual, so we've got mm-hmm. you know, user-centered design or a user story. Have you mm-hmm. started playing with um, a society story? I think that's a really good point. We have to be absolutely. We need to be really, really careful about the language that we used. We've been talking about. Uh, we talk about nothing but business, but it's also. I think the word user is perhaps not the best. I think human is better. It's human-centered design, but we also need to think about. Collective, society, together—all these words that have a meaning that aren't individualistic, self-centered. The whole, the key thing about neoliberalism was that it was all about self-interest, and that there wasn't any idea of sort of shared needs. So that's what we need to get back to—that we do have shared needs. There are some things that we need to tackle together, and we need to work together. So, I think that language is really, really important. Okay. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to this presentation from UX Australia 2018. For more presentations, please visit uxaustralia.com.au.